Hey, Pinkers, welcome to episode 24. It's titled, Why Even Buy a DH Bike? I think that some people are angry already, even reading the title, Casmer. I'm already angry because you said the word Pinkers. So I only said started. it because we don't have Brian Park, our boss here today. So I thought I'd celebrate by starting it by calling everybody Pinkers. I'm usually not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> You're still not allowed to. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. That's that seems fair. very childlike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm your host, Mike Levy, as usual, and you heard Casmer. We also have James from the UK. James, how's it going? Yeah, it's good. Thanks, Mike. It's good. good. James, you're going to read us the news later. But first, Sarah Moore, did you ride bikes on the weekend? I did. The smoke cleared. So yeah, yeah. I took, took advantage of it. It was nice to see the sky. And there were stars last night, which was nice. I didn't stay up that late. Breathe. I was too tired. Yeah, also breathing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it felt so good. Yeah. Hey, Sarah. I was wondering if if you had to pick somebody to sponsor this podcast, a non-cycling company, who would you choose? Haribo. Not bad. That's good on the yeah. answer. Or like Maynard's for Fuzzy Peaches. Right. Best James? Uh, maybe like a, a tea sponsor would be good. Oh, I was going to say a crumpet company. <laughs> yeah, I could, I, could, <laughs> I could plug a different tea every week for someone. Yeah. Slam yeah. for that. Yeah, I I think I'd obviously pick Tim Hortons, but Casimir, what, what would you do? I'll go with Cocoa Coast. They make the best coconut water. It's ridiculous. Coconut it's, water? Yeah, it's so good. I don't usually like all You're fired. Water. No, I'm already, <laughs> I'm already going to plug them now. Cocoa Coast, it's amazing. And if you want to sponsor the podcast, hit us up because I would like some Cocoa Because we're Coast. already giving them free advertising. So yeah. Right. <laughs> Should definitely. <laughs> hey, and Tim, if you're out there listening, I would love it if you sponsored the podcast as well. I would love it every morning to start the morning with a breakfast sandwich and all that kind of stuff. So Tim Hortons, hit me up. James, tell us about the news. Sure. Um, we'll start with Salsa, uh, who are probably best known for their touring bikes and fat bikes, uh, popular with their beard and sandals brigade. Uh, but these two new models look to be proper all-mountain enduro bikes. Um, so both models use the same front and rear triangle and split pivot suspension, uh, but Salsa is swapping out the shock, the rocker and the clevis. So that gives a 140mm travel version called the Blackthorn and a 165mm version called the Cassidy. Um, they aren't the first brand to do this. Gorilla Gravity, uh, four of their models use the same front triangle, but it seems like a pretty cost-effective way to, to fill out a bike range. Um, Salsa have definitely brought in some of their touring knowledge. Um, we saw... There's lots of mounting options here, uh, including a hole in the forward shock mount for a storage strap and some protection for the frame there as well, which I thought was really neat. Uh, Levy, you had a first look at this. Um, have you managed to get any rides in yet? Uh, just one short ride on it. What are your first impressions? Um, well, I mean, it kind of leads into the podcast title today. Like we got this trail bike with 160 millimeter fork, 140 millimeters of rear wheel travel. And like a 64 and a half degree head angle, it, I mean, it feels incredibly capable. I'm like, is this a trail bike? Is it an enduro bike? I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. But we're going to talk a lot more about that in the field test coming up. Um, but yeah, looks good. Very purple. Can you, can you tell us anything about that field test? Is it all going to be these sort of burly trail bikes? Yeah, exactly. It's going to be exactly that. So I'll be on four or five new trail bikes. Casimir, you're going to be on four or five new enduro bikes, I assume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Some extra burly. Like we've got a little, there's some, a lot of travel in my category, but no travels. Uh, I think the biggest, longest travel bike we have is going to be 180, 180. Why even buy a DH bike? eh? (laughs) (laughs) Brings us back to that title. (laughs) 
Uh, is that going to be another Squamish-based one, or are you uh, spreading your wings maybe to the East Coast? I definitely will not be going to the East Coast. So we're going to be doing trail bikes here in Squamish on our amazing trails in the surrounding area, and Kaz is going to be doing his stuff in Bellingham because the, the border's closed. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, another bike that's going to be uh, in that field test is the Giant Trans X Advanced. Uh, also launched was the Live Intrigue Advanced 2. These are carbon versions of the longer travel trance, which we talked about in podcast 18. Uh, it's a carbon-only frame, so obviously it's lighter uh, than that aluminium one. Uh, and Giant have placed importance on making it super stiff with... Overdrive! <laughs> and Mega Drive! <laughs> and Power Core! <laughs> My ears hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Another feature we picked out was the adjustable geometry. Um, that actually makes quite a significant change. So that's 0.7 degrees head angle adjustment and 10 millimeters on the BB height. Yeah, uh, lots, lots of stuff going on there. It's possibly the best looking giant I've ever seen as well. I think a lot of commenters said that they were pretty impressed with how it looks. Yeah, I like the paint, which seems like a really basic thing yeah. to say, but it is really Well, nice. no, it looks good, dude. It looks great. And then that adjustment change. I always talk about this, like with the adjustment change thing, why not make... A much wider range and the obvious answer to that is they're not you don't want to make two different bikes that doesn't you don't want like three degrees or maybe even you don't want a full degree but when we're talking like a third of a degree and three millimeters of bottom bracket height change on some of these bikes it's like meh so this one has uh three quarters of a head angle 10 millimeters of bottom bracket height adjustment so an effective amount so i'm looking forward to trying that and fox live valve our bike review this week was on the meta tr uh common styles trail bike Apparently, if it is a trail bike, it's probably one of the burliest ones going, uh, which sounds like it'd be right up your street, Kaz. Um, what did you make of it? Yeah, I really like this bike. It is, you know, it's a common saw, so it's aluminum. It's a little bit on the heavier side, kind of has a sort of tank-like quality, but it is 140 mils rear travel, 160 up front. And for where I live, it's great because I do have a lot of trails that are a little bit more, um, they're not all straight up and down. So like a bike like this, that's a little bit like a trail bike where you can pedal it, but then still hit up the rowdiest stuff and be fine. It's uh, pretty interesting. I do like how you're like, yeah, a little bit like it literally has TR, the stands for trail in the name. And yeah, you're like, it's, it's not a trail little anymore. bit. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's 34 pounds. And like you said, 60, 64 and a half degree head angle, 490 reach. So those are numbers that are very progressive and you ride it. And it does feel like, I mean, I hit some of the biggest jumps I've hit this year on it and just went down pretty much all the trails that I wanted. And it wasn't ever like, oh, I should be on a different bike. So that's something that says something about the bike. But if I did live in somewhere flatter, more mellow terrain, it wouldn't be my first choice. But they know that too. Um, yeah, there are a few little spec choices that I didn't agree with. They put like dual dissector tires on there and two piston brakes, I think, to try to make it seem like a trail bike. But they can't hide the fact that it is it is more closer to an enduro bike. But they that's okay. The wrong guy to send a bike with two piston brakes to like a big boy bike like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, but only the smallest rotors that it takes is two, 200. You can't put smaller than a 200 you, rear rotor on it. Oh, yes. I like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so. See? Well, you, you did say that TR stands for turbo, not trail, right? Yeah. And then someone tried to get mad at me because they thought that turbo was like should only be used for cars. And then I was demeaning cars. And I wasn't really, I got confused. <laughs> Yeah, sounds like was, an e-bike thing to me. Turbo. Yeah, I don't like, know. That sounds like it has a TR is not trail anymore. Well, so that was what I came up with. It seemed like it would fit. It does. It's one of those bikes you just want to go fast, hit some jumps, and it still lets you goof off, which I like. It wasn't, despite all those numbers, it's not hard to ride. Like it felt really comfortable. 
Okay, so Kaz, you're going out on a Bellingham trail ride. You're going to slide down some greasy steep rocks, I'm sure. But at the same time, you're going to climb 6,000 feet and be out for four or five hours or whatever you're doing. Are you taking your optic, which isn't that much lighter, I don't think, or are you taking the come and sell? Um, my optic's like four pounds lighter, so that's kind of significant. But <laughs> Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, yeah. <laughs> Got me there. I mean, yeah, it would kind of, I mean, it just, it'd be hard to, hard to, decide i guess like you could Pick do one. the same ride Stop on sitting on the fence i know well i probably if i was going to hit some rowdy stuff i would rather be on this bike like yeah it so it is more, more capable yeah than an optic oh for sure i mean it has 140 mils versus 125 in the rear mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's got that flow x2 so like that you can definitely the flow x2 has a really nice um the bottom out bumper in there so even if you use all the travel you still don't feel like you did which is pretty cool so yeah i mean this feels like a more sturdy solid bike than like a, a trail bike like an optic so away from new bikes, uh, we've got a new GoPro. Uh, it's less than a year since the Hero 8, uh, and we've now got the Hero 9. Some improvements include 5K video and a front screen to help bloggers get their selfie angles. I think it's cool technology, but I kind of just don't get excited about new GoPros, maybe in the way that we used to. I feel like if you're not a racer comparing lines or like a content creator... I don't know. They just make me look even slower than I am. So It's because there's nine of them. This is the ninth one. <laughs> and I don't know. No. Yeah, but it's 5K. <laughs> How many K do we need? I don't know. I think there's 8K. I don't even know what they mean. How many Ks does it go up to? all of them <laughs> yeah it's funny though because they somebody make these tell like, us how many k's there are okay jason jason lucas we need yeah. you <laughs> they keep making them fancier and fancier and people are watching stuff on smaller and smaller screens hmm. and they take like, up more and more space too it's like oh all my devices are full i wonder why <laughs> yeah <laughs> kaz do you ever film your rides with the gopro like you know i mean like your non-work right when you don't have to you when you're not forced to use a gopro do you use one I definitely not. No, when would I ever want to watch that? I'm just. It's like in my head. Have I have a memory me. in my brain. No, I'm not mad. I just. It's funny. Like I feel like half the internet is filled up with useless helmet cam footage. Yeah, just a waste. Like it should never have been gone anywhere. But the only good place for a GoPro is when they put them on the back of a golden retriever, and then it like does its fun day, like running around to the river and you know <laughs> yeah, saying hi to people. <laughs> I think base jumping is good too. I can appreciate a base jumping. More GoPro. interested in the dog thing, but sure. Yeah, that's okay. We had a ridden and rated this week, uh, and that was on flat pedal shoes. Uh, so Nikki and Becca tested 11 different ones for us. Uh, normally, I'd expect 510s to walk away in one of these tests, uh, no pun intended, um, but neither of them went for the 510 option. So the shoes that came out on top were the Ion Scrub Amp, the Shimano GR9, and the Giro Riddens. Um, so it's great to say to see some other brands catching up and some more options for riders there. To be fair, in that review, it was basically based on the newest flat pedal riding shoe. So 510's newest one is a little bit more kind of like if you're going to have some hiker bikes and more casual. So if that Freerider Pro or the uh, Impact Pro is included in the test, it probably would have still been on the top. They still have the, they're still on the top for the stickiest, best rubber compound out there. But um, yeah, out of these 11, there, there were some other good viable options. So it's cool to see. Why would you name a shoe the Riddance? That doesn't seem like a good name <laughs> yeah, anything, but good riddance, like riddance. It's a good, it already has good in the name, right? It's a good riddance. I guess. <laughs> they, should, they could call it the good riddance. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyways. The EWS continued this weekend on the coast of Italy, uh, the brand new venue of Pietro Ligure. If it looked familiar, that's because it's on the same coastline and is 
like I think it's like five kilometers away from Finale Ligure, so they kind of share the same trail network and a lot of similar trails there. The big news is probably Isabeau Corderia's winning streak um, that extends back to 2018 came to an end. Uh, she finished second, but it's worth saying she was racing with two ruptured ligaments in her ankle, so still mighty impressive. Uh, she was part of like French domination with James. James, one second. She's won every enduro race since 2018. The last one she didn't win was 2018. Yeah, she won all of them last year, and she won the first one this year. We've only had one this year, so. and she still well, came still. second with two ruptured ligaments. Get, in her what the ankle. hell? Ouch! Ouch! Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like it was a smooth course either. Like it looked really rocky and down. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just had to point that out. That's ridiculous. Um, so yeah, French, the French dominated Adrian Daly and Melanie Poujan took the win and then seven of the top 10 men and, uh, an unprecedented five of the top five women were French. Um, I guess the French are, are good at mountain bikes. Who knew? It's a shame that the series is coming to an end next weekend, but, uh, well done to the EWS for putting on such a great mini series and providing us with some top level enduro racing. One last thing that seemed to catch people's attention on site this week um, was that Rose are going to stop selling bikes in the UK due to our brake lever laws. Um, so we have our back brake on the left and our front brake on the right. Uh, <laughs> wrong way. With Rose kind of streamlining its operations at the moment, presumably due to COVID, um, it says uh, installing the brake cables and brake levers on the opposite side would require the type of special solution for the UK that we simply can't realise right now. Makes me ask, where will I get my German direct sales horse link bike from now? Um, but the plans are to find a solution in future. Um, so if you do want a Rose bike and you're in the UK, then yeah, hold out because they're trying to make something work there. I hope that this forces the rest of the world to put the brake lever on the right where it belongs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, let's move on to questions. PB user Alex Sin, he asks... Why do chainstays and C2 bangles have to be static across the size range? Isn't the fact that these numbers shrink and then expand again is because different people need different things? Casimir? Yeah, they don't need to be static across the size range. And we're seeing more and more companies have them not be static. Uh, just kind of depends on how the company decides to make their bikes. There are bikes out there that chainstay length increases as the bikes get larger. C2 bangle changes as you go through different sizes, but just kind of you- depends on the tactic. Tell, tell us why that matters, the chainstay length, the rear center length changing. Yeah, just imagine if you have a bike that's super long in the front, but then the chainstay stays the same for all sizes. So your smaller rider might feel balanced, but then your bigger rider, he's going to have all this bike in front of him, but nothing in behind. So it could feel kind of strange in corners or might feel like it wants to loop out on the climbs. There's pros and cons to both. I do think it's cool that we are seeing more bikes have at least adjustable chainstays, if not uh, different chainstays for larger sizes. So it's becoming more common, I'd say, over the last couple of years. And then with seat angles too, everybody remember that you can slide your seat around like a, a fair bit, which makes a pretty big adjustment range. So those taller riders, traditionally they've had to slide their seat forward on the rails to maybe compensate. But as bikes get bigger, the seat tubes sometimes on some brands get a little bit steeper to compensate for that. Who does, who, who out there off the top of your head is doing this stuff, guys? Um, let's see. Norco is really one of the original, like they've been doing that for a while, but then, um, Let's see who else. I think Santa Cruz, some of their bikes have adjustable chainstays now. Even some of the new Konas have adjustable chainstays. Yeah, uh, yeah it's it's a more and more companies. It's a pretty decent list now. It depends how much the change is, like how much the chainstay length changes per size, but it's it's becoming more normal. 
Yeah, and I think there are even a few more coming out that we can't quite talk about yet, but you'll yeah, hear about Yeah, there's some super adjustable bikes on the way. Yeah. Uh, moving on, Rob Chambo. All this talk of geometry and no mention of pole or geometron. I'm sure Chris Porter must have tried something like this. Uh, would be interesting to hear his comments. I'm guessing that was on the Grim Donut thing. And I mean... Yeah, for sure. I mean, a lot of the, uh, those guys were doing the geometry stuff years ago. They were doing some crazy stuff. There's always somebody doing stuff, experimenting out there. And I'm sure there's people doing stuff, crazy stuff right now in a shed that you would look at and be like, that's never going to work. And it will, maybe. <laughs> maybe. That brings us to today's discussion. Why even buy a DH bike? With modern enduro and trail bikes so good, why even buy a DH bike these days? Casimir? It's a good question. Yeah. And before we go too deep into this, if you want to buy a downhill bike, you should definitely buy one. There's no like, we don't hate downhill bikes. We we all love them. We've all spent a long time on downhill bikes, at least leaving myself. There have been times where our only bike were downhill bikes. How many but, downhill bikes have you owned, Kaz? Probably a whole bunch, eh? Yeah, I've had some downhill, uh, I, yeah, a decent amount and I'll, or some kind of like silly long travel free riding thing. It's been plenty of years, but those are my only bikes. Um, yeah. Hey, Sarah, Sarah Moore, how many downhill bikes have you owned? <laughs> I don't know why I'm here. I have never owned a downhill bike. I like remember the first time I got off like my hundred millimeter cross country bike and like tried a bike with, you know, 140 millimeters of travel. And I was like, wow, this is so flush. I don't know why anybody would ever need any more travel than this. <laughs> right. Yeah. And now, yeah. nowadays, especially there is no real reason. I mean, you and I and Casimir too, we live in a place where the trails are pretty gnarly. And Kaz, I mean, when you're out on a bike, if you're in a shuttle zone, even how often are you seeing a DH bike? Yeah, I'd say there's less and less out here nowadays. Like, you know, let's go back, uh, let's say seven years ago. It was pretty normal. Everybody just kind of had their downhill bike and then their trail bike. Pretty distinct separation. But now everyone just kind of has these, you know, we'll call them enduro bikes, longer travel bikes that you just do everything on and you're fine. If that's your one bike, you can still go hit up the shuttle zones. You can go to the bike park and you don't really miss a downhill bike obviously when you hop on a downhill bike you're like oh yeah this is yeah. really fun and i'm gonna go fast and it is different but you can get away without one and so i think it's harder and harder just to justify that extra expense yeah so we're we don't hate these things we're just trying to be practical here for the most part like the bikes are so good these days that you could have a bike that's much more useful and it's 90 percent, 95 percent of a downhill bike for most people but, I mean, when was the last time you came up to something on the trail and you said, well, I'm not, my, not on my DH bike, so I'm not going to hit it? That doesn't really happen anymore. Yeah, it's pretty rare. It has to be something like extra, extra gnarly to yeah. uh, want you to have that yeah. bike. Yeah, and so we do an opening day survey at the Whistler Bike Park every year, and I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but you can definitely see like year after year that, you know, you go to the Whistler Bike Park, there's just more and more trail bar bikes in the lineup. Like there's not a lot of downhill bikes there almost. Yeah, and it used to be kind of a thing, you know, you if you wanted to ride hard trails, you just needed that downhill bike. Like that's how it worked. I, you know, I just remember thinking, I want to ride these trails. I won't be able to ride them with any other bike that exists. And for a time, it kind of made sense because you didn't have single crown forks that were strong enough or not or long enough travel long enough travel um and downhill bikes were overbuilt and burlier and that's kind of the way you wanted to go you wanted those downhill tires but now we kind of have this intermediate zone we have bikes with you know decently tough tires and plenty of travel and also like you want to go ride in the bike park but then there's like a whole lot of awesome trails around the bike park and you can go and pedal them so that's kind of like the versatility of any bike other than a downhill bike is pretty awesome when do you guys think this change started to happen? 
is this is this a recent thing or is it something that's been going on for a long time and we're just seeing it now? I think it's always been going on, but I think now more than ever, you know, there was like, think about like free riding. That was the difference back in the day between like a free ride bike and a downhill bike was if you had a dual crown fork or a single crown fork, you know, you had your totem on there or your Sherman or whatever your I had a long travel. Yeah. Your long travel single crown of choice was, and then you were a free rider. And then if you had a dual crown fork, then you're a downhill rider. And, and you know, the difference between those two at the time was not that much, whether you pushed or maybe tried to pedal a little bit, but, but nowadays I think with the Enduro world series, and the growth of Enduro, as much fun as it is to kind of poke fun of Enduro-oriented marketing, uh, I do think that it's helped progress bikes to a point where they're yeah. just incredibly capable. For sure, yeah. And it's, I mean, that Enduro marketing has replaced downhill marketing, really. I mean, the racing, the World Cup racing, like team sponsor and have fast racers for marketing. That's what it is. And it was pushing the boundaries of technology and geometry and all that sort of stuff. But now we're seeing that come from the Enduro World Series more than the DH World Cup. Like I think, James, you had said earlier that downhill racing used to be the Formula One of the sport. And there's definitely, I could argue that, you know, it still is. But Enduro racing, I mean, the bikes there, they make a lot of sense. I uh, Yeah, I, I think I agree that it... it it is still Formula One in a sense that like these bikes are so specialized and they have like one job that they do really well and then you kind of can't do much else with them. Um, the same as an F1 car. Um, but oh, I mean, wait, 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 wait. F1 cars are supposed to be road car relevant. <laughs> 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 Moving on. Um, yeah, but I mean, like if we if we say the last big technological development in downhill was 29 inch wheels, um, I mean, the rest of the mountain bike world was doing that five years before downhill bikes, you know, and we've seen like even e-bike tech being moved up to downhill bikes as opposed to downhill bike tech trickling down as it used to. You're talking thicker rotors, e-bike tires, that kind yeah, of stuff. stuff like that, like the kind of the more infor- reinforced stuff for the, the bigger loads, right? I just want to I just want to point out, do you guys remember... Maybe two years ago, I wrote an op-ed about how e-bike components are going to drive downhill components, especially, and some other stuff. And about 300 people got very, very <laughs> angry at me. Well, here we are. Redemption. <laughs> yeah. sometimes, sometimes you're right about some things. <laughs> it's very rare, so I like to point it out when I am. Yeah, um, yeah that is... Oh, yeah, keep going, James. I was just going to say, having said that, like we now see a lot of like telemetry in downhill, and I'm sure for things like... Uh, suspension development that maybe isn't as like obvious from the outside like what goes on inside um i'm sure that that development is still happening but um yeah it it doesn't seem as as much of a hotbed of new technology as it used to be yeah and i think that you know in the downhill world i think you get some suspension developments coming from that probably some brake developments but your average rider is not on a downhill bike so the amount of feedback that a company can get like based on you know how a bike is performing failures all that kind of stuff they have just a massive amount of data to pull from from their customers compared to a downhill bike where they i don't know the numbers of but if you're a company that's selling a downhill bike and a trail bike you're selling so many more trail bikes um so that, that's kind of where the the focus is on the evolution kind of like geometry too don't even sell like some brands don't even sell downhill bikes at all anymore like they either never were in that space or they were in that space and now they're not anymore i think you were mentioning yeah like yeti and rocky mountain like used to have a downhill bike and now they don't anymore so it's kind of interesting to see you know teams with enduro world series teams but not downhill world cup teams 
And I think if you're going to have a downhill bike, you almost have to have some sort of professional downhill team. I mean, that is not an inexpensive proposition. So not only are they having to develop a downhill bike, they're also having to pay for somebody to race it and all the travel and marketing and all that kind of stuff. Um, and they're going to sell, I don't know, like you'd be surprised how little, like some of these large companies are selling like low hundreds down in downhill bikes. It's not a lot. Yeah. I kind of like the, you know, as much as downhill bikes are amazing, but it's kind of cool to see them at least hopefully get even more and more specialized for that racer, just because I want that to be the fastest bike available, purebred focused on speed. And that's for your racer type person. And then I think that just kind of leaves room for the other bikes to become more, for your average rider and just for everybody. Um, right. Then the enduro bikes and the trail bikes that normal people ride every single day get even more capable. They have to. They have to be able to handle the gnarlier terrain and be able to pedal up the thing, pedal up the mountain too. I think it isn't just geometry though. Like the geometry has let the bikes go faster, but if we were still using the same components that we were using three, four, five years ago, things would just be falling apart too. So now we have... I mean, we have 1500 gram wheel sets that you could beat the shit out of. And they're like 30 millimeters wide. I mean, they're not cheap, but you know, yeah. and, and we don't have tires yet, yeah. but they've gotten better. Like it is, I mean, everybody, whenever you get a flat, it makes you so mad. And so then you immediately want to complain about tires, but to be fair, like the double down casing tire or from, you know, something from Schwalbe, like their super trail, it's a pretty good compromise between needing to lug around a heavy downhill tire and a, uh, you know, a super light XC tire. So we're getting there. Tires could still definitely use some yeah. work, but yeah. they're getting what closer. What about, what about four piston brakes, Kaz? Yeah. I mean, brakes in general, like we've seen rotor size increase on you, even your trail bikes. Now it's not uncommon for a, you know, a, a 140 mil trail bike to come with 200 millimeter rotors front and rear. So that's a lot of braking power. Um, that lets just see, lets you have, you know, more control and steeper terrain. So you're not feeling like you're going to outrun your brakes when things get gnarly. Right. And there are 20, 30 grams more than the two piston offerings. Yeah, like, exactly. There's not really a reason. Like, why and wouldn't work? you? Jokes no, aside, yeah. why why wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, brakes work now. <laughs> yeah, and if you go for four-piston brakes, maybe you downsize with rotors as well, too. You don't, If you don't need all that power. Um, what else? Long-stroke dropper posts. Yeah, and the suspension, like we said, you know, the suspension developments happen in the downhill world. They've definitely trickled down to these trail bikes. You have, with the shock, like a, a Float X2 that you first saw just on downhill bikes. Now you're seeing it on shorter travel you know, trail bikes again. So you have all these adjustments, like really, you know, high level of, you know, damping performance. So you can just do whatever you want, basically. Guys, do you guys think e-bikes have made downhill bikes less popular? You know, you know, you don't need to shuttle your downhill bike anymore. You just head out to that closed fire road with the amazing trails. Yeah, I definitely say e-bikes are way more popular and way more versatile to use that word again than uh, a downhill bike is. Um, and yeah, you don't have to shuttle. You don't need a lift. You don't need to buy a pass. You just buy your bike and use some electricity to charge it once in a while and you're good to go. Yeah, I see way more e-bikes here than downhill bikes. But I don't know. I don't have numbers and I don't know worldwide if if that makes sense. But I'm, I'm sure there's more e-bikes e being sold than downhill bikes. I think we oh, can say sure. that. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> About that's an easy one. Times more. Yeah. yeah. But, but Mike, do you think those e-bike numbers have taken away from the downhill bike numbers or do you think it's just those like that core group of down you know the guys kaz and sarah those guys living in the van at the whistler bike park and they're like 45 years old and there's like three dudes living in a van what are you guys doing still buying downhill bikes <laughs> yeah 
yeah, I mean, there's always, yeah, I mean, like we were saying, like, you can't knock owning a downhill bike because they are they are different enough. Like there is a difference between a enduro bike and a downhill bike, no matter even with the same geometry. That dual crown fork and just the overall feel of having that more oh, yeah. travel. Um, it's there's something special about it's riding superhero more. status. Like that yeah. first downhill bike day in the bike park, Kaz. When you're when you're feeling it, like it's after lunch, you've had three or four runs. You like you know what's gonna happen. You know. Yeah, that day great. is great. Yeah, yeah, it's your powder day. Like if you're a skier, you know some skiers have these super giant fat powder skis just for that one day when everything comes together and you want that's what you want. It doesn't get used every single day, and that's kind of where the downhill bike falls in. That's why it's not as practical to have a downhill bike for some people. If it only gets used twice a year, you might as well just rent the nicest downhill bike you can when you go to the bike park and then ride your trail bike the rest of the year. Right. Yeah, and I say e-bikes. A lot of the people that I've seen are like getting into mountain biking through e-biking and not a lot of people i would say get into mountain biking through downhill biking like yeah that'd be interesting yeah i think you're right i don't think too many people start off on a downhill bike yeah usually it's like a second bike yeah Yeah. well it'd be cool to start it'd be pretty weird though like an interesting (laughs) trickle down you'd be spoiled everything would feel strange i feel like some kids are like yeah like their parents put them on in downhill camp or give them a downhill bike because they're like i don't want to pedal uphill and then they get really good skills just from riding downhill like you start alpine skiing there's a lot more people that alpine ski yeah striders (laughs) alpine ski than cross-country ski (laughs) this does remind me of a few years ago we had this good debate with rc richard cunningham and he was talking about the future of downhill bikes and he was saying that in the future they won't have seats it's just going to be kind of like a trials moto almost where it's like one seamless piece from like the top tube and it hasn't happened yet, but I could almost picture it and I want it to come true just to see RC's things I think come it true makes again. a ton of sense, but I don't think it's going to happen because we still want to ride bicycles and bicycles have bicycle seats. I know. You remember all those weird protos from like the 90s and early 2000s with that had like motorbike type seats and stuff like that from Interbike yeah. that never ever happened? Yeah, they, exactly. They never happened because we don't ride motorbikes. I think people I want bike seats, but that That's would true. make sense, wouldn't it? If yeah, you're really kind of. strong and never sit down. No, not that, you know. Well, you don't sit down on a World Cup run. <laughs> no. No, not on a World Cup <laughs> run. But it's just like pedaling from the lift to like, you know. Now I'm talking about make it like specialty just for downhill. What would it just look like? Just for racing. No holds barred. Just a race, mm-hmm. purebred race bike. Would it be better? I don't know. I just remember RC saying that and I thought it was funny, but I want to see it. Where Where could downhill bikes go? So if downhill bikes sort of get released from that, uh, we got to sell these things to normal people too. Where could they go, eh? Yeah, I mean, do you think geometry, this sounds, we're going to, this is good enough to talk about in another podcast. So we'll cover this, but just off the top of your head, Kaz, where do you think, like, are they to get crazy slack? Like we just saw the donut, not to bring up the donut again, but the donut's head angle is 57. Yeah. I mean, I think they could get slacker. They can definitely still get longer. And then I think the weight concept is interesting to kind of experiment with where the weight is on the bike. Um, We mentioned Chris Porter before he's done some stuff like strapping lead weights to bikes and you know, I think there's more experimentation to be done there and see kind of where the optimum right. weight balance lies. Um, yeah, I think you can get pretty deep and really techy with these. Yeah, I think if I had to guess, I would say that obviously they're going to be ridiculously long rear ends, long front ends, way lower bottom brackets with little cranks, shorter cranks, um, and way more active suspension. I mean, obviously, courses would have to consistently be steeper and have less pedaling, but yeah, I think that makes sense. Way slacker, way longer, way more active suspension, and lower. 
Yeah, I don't know about the active suspension. I mean, you're just talking about you want it to be extra soft and not do anything when you grab the brakes or... No, I want it to have a ton of negative travel and like traction is everything. Corners are everything. And mm-hmm. I just want it to be stuck to the deck. You know, I maybe you don't even have to pedal through the corner you're going so fast. I don't know. Maybe. What about offsets? <laughs> yeah, that's another thing. I mean, there's so many little things you can experiment about. You have your fork offset. There's companies out there now making different crowns. I don't know how much that's going to make the difference between you get on the podium or not, but you might as well have the optimum setup if you're trying to be the best in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know if it was faster or not, but I loved what Cannondale did last year with the the dual shock downhill bike. Um, you know, it, it looks like that's kind of been shelved and isn't going to come to anything now. But I just love that it was something different, and they're pushing that box and uh, experimenting. And I'd love to see more of that in downhill rather than you know, there's a, a, like a batch of kind of cookie cutter frames out there. So yeah, more more like that is what I want. More yeah, maybe some, doing some cool shit. Yeah, more weird things. Maybe some more aero stuff. Like I was noticing, I watched a little replay of the uh, EWS race over the weekend, and those guys are wearing some pretty tight clothing. It's funny. Like one dude looked like he was in full spandex almost. Like they should be. I know. Well, yeah, this is a different. Like that, the skin suit band is kind of funny. Like, but if, when you look in the road world and some of the stuff that they've done testing for aero, it's pretty ridiculous the difference that that stuff can make. Like shaving your legs is actually a scientifically proven thing in the wind tunnel that makes a huge difference like Kaz, yeah, do you remember know. that aerodynamic trek you remember when trek did that big thing with the session with like the fork mm-hmm. fairings and the seat fairing and all that stuff yeah. we seem to see that like every four or five years i mean it's obviously not just marketing because there's people i mean you on a downhill run you definitely sometimes do sit and talk on certain tracks so it's and anybody who's ridden a road bike and been in a draft knows that you're going above 20-something kilometers an hour. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. And when the times are so tight at the top, you know, on a full World Cup day, and you look at the top results, there's like 0.01 seconds, you know, between a few people. Yeah. yeah. Aerodynamic clothing can actually make a difference. Right. It might make a difference. Like, I went to Specialize and went in their wind tunnel. I was like, oh, yeah, you could probably figure Did they turn out. it on? Yeah. When uh, you were in it? Yeah. Sick. Goes like, it yeah, blow you, you away? <laughs> yeah, you, they, well, they tell you not to jump because they had like some high-end roadie in there once and he ju- jumped when they turned it on and he got like blown and fell down the little stair. And they're like, like, oh, 60 no. 60-pound Spanish roadie. I was going <laughs> to yeah, say, exactly. yeah. <laughs> and they thought they like hurt him. the wall. <laughs> yeah, so I think their lawyers tell you you can't jump now. But it's definitely like they can make it simulate like a 40-mile-an-hour headwind. So, yeah. Would you yeah. guys uh, get rid of the, the skin suit rule then? Are you in favor of full skin suit oh, yeah. again? I mean, I'm in yeah. favor of racing. And racing is about going from there to there as fast as you can. Like, I don't, I don't understand why we care about looking But have like, you seen, like, those record, like, the world record for, like, the fastest, like, land speed or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wear that, that looks ridiculous. Like, <laughs> well, yeah. people are not like the helmet. to mountain bike. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't care right. if people if want a mountain like bike. That. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is to win the race. And, yeah, I mean, they're not going to have those giant, like, ski speed helmets on and the calf fairings behind them, as cool as they are. And maybe they should. <laughs> maybe they should. And an entire bubble around the whole bicycle. Yeah. Yeah, it's faster. They'd all be on the peakless helmets, though. I don't know if that's a step too far. Yeah, I don't know if I can take it. You need a visor. <laughs> <laughs> Aero hey, helmet with a visor. I have a question for you guys. I'm going to put you all on the spot right here. First up, Sarah. Sarah, you have to buy a downhill bike. What are you going to buy? I'm curious. If you had to get a downhill bike. Oh, isn't that Scott one super light? I'm going to get a super light one. Yeah. 34 pounds. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. light. What about you, James? Um, Probably the common cell. Just, it seems fast. 
<laughs> Why not? It's won a couple. Worlds. Yeah. It's got that high pivot on it. That's the one. Yeah. Get on that thing. Instant speed. It seems to be like the privateer's choice at the moment. So. Right. Yeah. I'll go with that. Casimir, I see you thinking over there. I know. There's so many options. That that comments would be fun. I do like that bike, but I might go a V10. I really like the V10. It's just a fun, the classic bike. Yeah. 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 It's hard to hard to not go fast on that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it still jumps super well. And I really like that in the park. So I'd probably go V10. I have my short list down to the old US made Iron Horse Sunday. Oh, I don't know if we can go any bike ever. Yeah. The Sunday. That's still my favorite downhill bike I've ever owned. I would want it because I've never ridden it. I know you have oh, it, Kaz. You don't have to good. tell me about it again. And then I also know you use JB Weld all the time. So whatever. Um, and, uh, or the anodized blue giant ATX DH bike with the like moto swing arm and the shock really low and that little moto link underneath. I just remember it being so solid and stable. Yeah, we should try to track some of these down. If anyone has an Iron Horse Sunday for sale, it could be a size medium because that's what I rode back then because I thought shorter bikes were better. But you just double XL now. <laughs> I know, I would. Like that thing was so little, but it felt like it was just like one inch off the ground and you kind of like yeah. got over it. Oh, I loved it. I, I, I keep, a Sunday for sale. I, I keep meaning to do that. Like get a bunch of old cool bikes and do some do some video stuff. I think yeah, I feel like there was one with the, was it Windmasters? And then another one with uh, Connor Fearon recently where they, they did do the like yeah. before and after. So yeah, you got Connor cool. got his old Kona. And, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a vintage downhill race happening, maybe down there in Australia, I think, where your bike has to be a certain number of years old. So you have to Amazing. only race old bikes, which seems pretty cool. Yes. I would love to do an old downhill bike group test. <laughs> like if we had enough time and I yeah. wasn't like constantly a month behind on my emails, sorry, everybody, <laughs> um, where we could just like pause time and do like a 19, like late 90s to like mid 2000s downhill bike group test. Yeah. Oh, it'd be amazing. If someone, yeah, if someone has to like find a container of bikes somewhere so we can have like new, yeah, like new old bikes would be great. Nice. And then you're yeah. going to thrash them mm-hmm. to test them. Well, oh, and no. that's the thing though, More is that bicycles. we do get offers from very friendly, nice people letting us borrow or suggesting that they could lend us their cool old bike. But a lot of times they have like weird different things on them and like the shock has been blowing for the last 50 years, <laughs> whatever, you know. Okay, so now that we know what downhill bikes we're all going to pick up, maybe we meet next year at Whistler and we all do a run together on our dream downhill bikes. Sound good, guys? That sounds good. That's yeah. Great. All right, we're going to end it with comment gold. As always, Sarah Moore, read us some comment gold. Okay, so we've got 49th Biker. And he says, sounds like he is biking away from a wedding with all the tin cans trailing behind him. Guess what bike that was? That's harsh, but fair. <laughs> hey, you know, we were, we were only thinking about geometry. We're purely thinking about performance, not sound deadening, okay? Yeah, I think there's people who said shopping cart, but I like this. Biking away from a wedding with all the tin cans trailing behind him. That's really good. Um, and then the next two comments are from uh, Finn Isles. I uh, was riding at Cyprus and he had some POV footage. And Polar Flux said, I can't even watch that fast, which I thought was quite accurate for a lot of like POV stuff. It's like, oh, this makes me feel slightly sick because he's going so fast. Um, and then Aaron, A-R-A-W-N, said, how he did that is beyond me. I can't even see the damn trail. And yeah, I think that just speaks to uh, how fast Finn Isles is. Yeah, Finn is quick. Yeah. He's racing some World Cups, isn't he? Yeah. Is he going to be able to get over to World Champs, probably? I think probably. so. That's like the yeah. first race in their calendar, right? They go straight into like World the, Championships. 
It's the only race, right? Uh, there's supposed to be two after that. Uh, okay. Very casual race calendar. Yeah, there's here. Just, to just go to Champs. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Get yeah, started. They have uh, Maribor and Luza in Portugal. Oh, yeah, it's like round one, two, three, four. So technically, there could be four rounds in two weekends. Oh, that'd be good. Yeah. Want some more racing. Yeah. The Tour de France lasted without, like, it went the whole way without closing down and without anything major, I think. So no, maybe we might have. Yeah. What's that, Jim? I was going to say none of the riders tested positive that the whole time. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So we There's hope. We do have hope. Although in Drill World Series, uh, we did have two positive cases there. So maybe mountain bikers, I don't know, roadies, they yeah. got something special. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on. Last comment gold we got here is Fally, P-H-A-L-L-E-Y. He says the correlation between home province and discipline is remarkable. And this was in uh, Canada Selects 27 athletes for the Leo Gang World Championship. So pretty much all the downhill riders were from BC. All of the cross-country riders were from uh, Quebec or Ontario. So it was like very separate. So that was kind of interesting, I thought. Well, that was episode 24. Let us know in the comments. We love downhill bikes. We would love to go to the park today and ride downhill bikes all day long. But at the same time, enduro bikes and trail bikes, man, these things are so capable. So let us know in the comments. Your next bike, what is it going to be? Are you, are you considering a downhill bike or not? 